Welcome to the MS Gym Podcast, where we give you the tools to live life by design, not by diagnosis. I'm your host, Brooke Slick, and here we go. Hello, everyone. In this episode, I'll be speaking to renowned neurologist Dr. Mitzi Joy Williams of Atlanta, Georgia, regarding the increasingly popular mode of medical communication called telemedicine. At no other time in the history of medicine has this option to communicate with our healthcare professionals been more important. In addition to a behind-the-scenes look at telemedicine, we discuss the many advantages of this mode of communication and what we can expect in the future. This interview is number three of four from the MS Gym Thrive Summit, previously only available to summit attendees. I'm excited to be able to share this exclusive information with all of you. Let's go. Welcome, everyone, to this segment of the MS Gym Thrive Summit, where today we're going to be talking about telemedicine with Dr. Mitzi Joy Williams, also known as Dr. Mitzi. She's a board-certified neurologist and fellowship-trained multiple sclerosis specialist. She's passionate about educating and empowering people affected by MS to understand the disease process and the goals of treatment. She's a sought-after consultant, speaker, researcher, and author. She has expertise in understanding MS in underserved and ethnic minority populations and collaborates with national and international committees to advocate for people living with MS. She's dedicated to raising awareness about the importance of research participation and encouraging diversity in clinical research. In her book, MS Made Simple, she explains basic concepts about MS, including what it does to the body, how it's diagnosed, and what you can expect over the course of the disease in a way that's down to earth and easy to understand. By the way, we'll be including links to that. So look for those. Um, she, she also, she discusses topics, including MS and African-Americans and the importance of research participation to help the large community of scientists, clinicians, patients, and support partners working toward finding a cure for the disease. As a speaker, she's considered a multiple sclerosis expert in diversity and inclusion thought leader. She offers engaging and informative talks about MS risk factors symptoms and management, as well as specialized topics such as MS in the African-American population. So, Dr. Mitzi, thank you so much. The depth and breadth of your work is, is vast. So the fact that we have you here today to talk about telemedicine, it, there are so many other things that we could talk about. <laughs> we could, you could educate us, but today it's telemedicine, and that was because you were brought to my attention by Coach Trevor, who's the head of the MS Gym, by his, uh, his right-hand man, Ken Allen, who found you online, and mm. um, immediately saw, I, I immediately went to your webpage, and I thought, you know, did she just get into telemedicine, you know, because of the pandemic, which so many doctors are embracing now, um, mm. and as soon as I started looking, I was like, oh, no, 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 she's got it going on, she's, the, you know, the website and just how you interact and how you offer telemedicine. I knew you'd been doing it for a while. So could you tell yes, us, when did you get into telemedicine? Obviously not just in the last few months. 
Right. Um, so it's very interesting. I happened to train in Augusta, Georgia. Uh, first, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here as a part thank of the MS Thrive so Summit. Um, so I'm glad to uh, be able to speak with you and, and hopefully reach those who see this um, presentation or this uh, interview. But I actually have been a part of telemedicine for quite some time. Um, I was fortunate to train in Augusta, Georgia at the Medical College of Georgia. That was the name at that time. And right around the time that I did my training, I won't date myself, that just created this system called the REACH system. And so this was a, uh, a platform that has now become a nationwide uh, telemedicine platform that's used primarily for stroke and stroke assessment. Um, so in neurology, traditionally, most of our telemedicine has been directed to looking at acute problems. Stroke was kind of the easiest because we have a medicine that has to be given within a certain time limit. So if we couldn't get to people in those small hospitals or those rural areas where there was no neurologist in the middle of the night, people would miss out on a potentially life-saving treatment um, because they would have to wait to get sent to another hospital. So I've been a part of the telemedicine or understanding about telemedicine for some time and then practicing telemedicine for the past eight to 10 years also primarily for acute problems in ERs and in places where they don't have local neurologists. But it has more recently become um, popular in trying to assess many of our outpatient specialties like multiple sclerosis. People may have to drive four or five hours to see us. So how can we see them maybe in the comfort of their own home for some of those um, visits where they may not need to drive four or five hours to see us just for a blood draw or just for a quick check-in about medications. So um, I've been doing it for quite some time and I'm excited to now be doing it um, for my subspecialty, which is multiple sclerosis. For anybody who like, we're talking about telemedicine, what if somebody just mm -hmm. popped on here and they're like, what the heck is telemedicine? What is telemedicine? Yeah, so that's a great question. So telemedicine is very is a very broad category that includes several things. So it includes basically remote medicine, whether it is talking to someone on the telephone, which is a form of telemedicine, or whether it's doing video visits where someone can actually do a video chat and you can see a certain person um, and they can see you and we can do certain assessments that way. And even telemedicine in the form of you being actually in a hospital setting. So for that person where the nurses or the doctors call us, they may be having a stroke, they're in the emergency department and there actually is machinery that can, we can use a camera, we can do certain assessments, they can see certain things and they can see us and we can see them. So there are kind of certain levels to it, meaning from the most simple to the most involved where you actually have other healthcare providers there to help the neurologist or the physician on the other end do different assessments and do different parts of the exam. So all of that encompasses telemedicine. Awesome. I love it. I love technology. <laughs> technology is great. Now, when it works, it's great. Now, sometimes it doesn't work. And it's oh, not so gosh. Great. But when it works, it's great. <laughs> exactly. I live in the middle of a... a former cornfield and we mm -hmm. have awful service. So mm -hmm. the fact that I'm seeing you at all, of course, mine always <laughs> has a little bit of a delay, but now well, gonna... I can see you perfectly. Oh, good. Good. Um, so <laughs> telehealth care, telemedicine, essentially the mm -hmm. same thing, right? Yes, and a televisit, yes. mm -hmm. teleappointment, mm -hmm. all the same right. thing. Um, yes. Who would you consider a perfect candidate for telemedicine? 
So telemedicine, um, so someone I would consider a perfect candidate for telemedicine is um, number one, someone, so ideally telephone visits are not the ideal form of telemedicine, okay, because uh, obviously we want to be able to see someone, we want to be able to speak to them, interact with them, and then there are actually a good uh, many parts of our neurologic exam or other exams that we can do just by looking at someone on the video, depending on their level of ability, or if there's a family member there that can help us do certain parts of the assessment. So the ideal telemedicine visit would be one where there is a video component and an audio component. So we can hear you and we can see you. Um, and there are a variety of different platforms where that can be used. Um, there are some that can be done on the telephone. There are some that can be done on the computer. So either having um, access to a smartphone where you can click to a website or having access to a de desktop computer with internet um, would be kind of the ideal situation. In terms of the type of patient, um, certainly we would not want to do telemedicine um, for an appointment where we have to make some type of major decision or where you're having a major problem. Like if you're having chest pain, like you need to go to the ER. <laughs> like we yeah. don't want to do a telemedicine visit for that. Yeah. Um, if you're having some type of relapse and you can't see out of one eye, you know, you need to go to an emergency setting to be seen. But there are many people who are very stable, um, you know, uh, that we may be able to see via a telemedicine visit, maybe a yearly visit. There's not much going on. Um, for some people, for medication checks, if there are certain medications that people are taking, for instance, controlled substances, they have to have visits every three months um, where we basically check in, make sure you're taking it. Those type of visits would probably be ideal to do um, via telemedicine. And then also, um, if someone has a medication check, like they started a new medication for their MS, and we just need to check in, see if they're having any side effects or something like that. Those would be kind of really good um, ways um, to use telemedicine um, so that people wouldn't have to travel so far for those routine kind of very quick visits. Have you ever seen any first-time patients via telemedicine? So yes, yeah, so I have. So since the pandemic has begun, we have been seeing some new patients via telemedicine because they need to be seen and assessed. Um, ideally, when seeing a new patient, it's very important for a neurologist to be able to do some type of exam. And although we can do quite a bit of the exam over the computer, um, there are some subtle things on exam that we just can't do, like we can't hit someone's reflexes right. remotely <laughs> with right. a hammer. Um, so ideally, we'd love to see new patients um, in person, but certainly during the pandemic, we've been seeing people via telemedicine. And now as our clinics are opening up, we are seeing some of those people in person in clinic just to make sure that we get a good exam documented for those folks. So it is possible, but maybe not necessarily the ideal situation. Have you had any patients that you've seen during the pandemic, let's say like prior patients that you've been treating all along, who said to you during the pandemic, you know what? I'm never going back. I want to do telemedicine from here on. <laughs> so absolutely. It's very convenient. You know, so there was a lot of uh, concern that, you know, patients would not be able to engage in some of the telemedicine platforms that they would not have access. Um, and there are some people who don't like being seen over the computer, but by and large, most of my patients have been very grateful um, that they haven't had to take the risk to come into the office or come, you know, from their homes. Um, and so it's been really nice um, to be able to do that quick visit and they can go back to their day and don't have to worry about parking in the parking lot or finding their right. way um, down the elevator. So it's been really nice. 
Now, I've spoken to a couple of other doctors who they're actually loving telemedicine. And they said that it's easier to keep your day organized. It really is. You think so? Yeah, so absolutely, right? So, yeah, so I have two small ones. Um, So it is very nice to be able to kind of plan my day and not have to worry about horrible Atlanta traffic keeping me tied up for an hour. Um, I think the other thing that's very helpful is that people are very rarely late for their appointments. So people can be late for appointments for a variety of reasons, whether it's traffic, whether it's parking, or whether they just left too late. Um, And so, you know, if you're late for your telemedicine appointment, you're probably going to miss it. You're probably in the bed sleeping and over, you know. Uh, and just missed it. So it really is helpful because you don't have to build in an extra 30, 45 minutes or hour of time to account and catch up if people are late for whatever reason. Um, You could just really kind of keep your schedule going and be able to see people and interact and get your work done. That's absolutely Mm -hmm. awesome. We answered just like four questions right in a row there. Um, (laughs) Insurance. Mm. Is a telemedicine visit billed any differently than an in-office visit? So the answer is yes and no. So this has been really the big sticking point that has kept telemedicine from becoming as widely available as many providers would like it to be, you know, so the big issue has been reimbursement. Um, So because of COVID-19, because of the pandemic, there have been uh, quite a few restrictions that have been loosened. So one of the major concerns has been um, the point of service. So for instance, I've always worked at a large MS referral center pretty much most of my career um, since I've specialized in MS. And so we have patients that drive from different states. So I'm in Georgia. We may have folks that come from South Carolina. We may have folks that come from Alabama. We may have people that come from North Carolina or Tennessee. Originally, the way the rules were set up, in order for you to see someone who lives in Tennessee and you're in Georgia, even if there are patients that travel to see you, traditionally, you have to have a license in Tennessee. Yeah. So the point of service is where the patient lives. So basically, to see your patient, you would have to have five or six different medical licenses if you're a referral center. I even have right. a lady who would fly to see me from Morocco, right? So right. I'm not going to be able to get a medical license in Morocco. So right. if I were to see those people via telemedicine, I'd have to have licenses and be able to practice in all those states, which has been a huge hindrance. And that has been relaxed um, significantly. Um, and also, um, in terms of reimbursement, telemedicine visits are now being reimbursed, or at least during the, you know, for March, April, and part of May, reimbursed at the same rates as a follow-up. So, you know, the other difficulty is that you don't get very much money back, you know, and again, if you get into a visit and it's a regular visit, a telemedicine visit could still be a 30, 45 minute or sometimes hour visit if there's a lot of education needed. Right. Um, but you were getting like a fraction of what, you know, uh, would be reimbursed if that person came into the office. So it is billed um, for the video visits. Um, the initial changes were that you could bill the same as you would an office visit. Um, telephone visits are a little bit separate. Um, we could not at all bill for telephone visits, even if we talked to somebody for 30 or 40 minutes. There was no reimbursement for that um, prior to COVID-19, but now there is some reimbursement for that. Um, so, um, you know, we, we will see as the states are opening back up, if those changes will revert back to normal. There are many right. of us who are 
actively fighting for that not to happen. Um, right. Certainly that could affect telemedicine in the future um, if the reimbursement is, you know, if you get 10 bucks for an hour long telemedicine visit, it's not going to be worth it for a provider to do it. I would love to see those, the, all of those restrictions loosened and yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So there are many, there's, um, there are many associations, um, including our American Academy of Neurology and other large groups that are trying to ensure that we're able to continue providing this very valuable service for our patients once the pandemic um, calms down a little bit. I can't imagine the patient population wouldn't demand it. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Because you get, I think I mean, should. even though, you know, it's this calamitous thing that's happened, there are good things that have come out of it. And people have gotten used to, like uh, last nine weeks, I've done nothing but grocery pickup. And I don't know if I'll step in Walmart ever again. <laughs> you know, these little things that I just, I'm used to. And if they said tomorrow, oh, we're not doing that anymore, I'd be like, so, so that kind of thing. I, I'm hoping that exactly. for the patient and exactly. the doctor's sake that that, that exactly. And I think the interesting thing about it is that there were things that people thought could not be done remotely that are doing right. well remotely. So, you know, it's a way of life now. And I think that we have to find that mix. We do need interaction with people, of course, in a safe environment. Um, and as a doctor, we absolutely need to see people sometimes <laughs> to yeah. actually do good exams on them. But I think um, that this is a model um, and many of the other models that have um, been created to do things digitally and remotely. We need to keep doing those things because it's more convenient. Um, and especially for people living with MS, some of whom may have some disability it can be very difficult to get to the doctor, even if you yeah. don't have disability. And, um, and, and it so takes a it, lot of organizing with family members and who exactly. can drive, because I drive two and a half hours. There have been times right. that I haven't been able to drive. So right. it, who's going to take me? Who's going to take exactly. off? Who, you know, and sometimes depending on who's working, who might exactly. be too old to take you? Who, you know, <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I, I'm excited. I'm excited. I am too. I'm very excited because we've been trying, you know, the office I used to work at a very large MS center here in Atlanta before I went out on my own. And, um, you know, it was a struggle trying to figure out how to make it work. We used to have to have patients go to a doctor's office that was near their home and we still have to see them at that doctor's office and that doctor's office had to coordinate. And so I'm really hoping that we'll make some major changes that will make um, the level of care a lot easier for all of us. What about, because as, as I'm coming up with questions for you today, I'm, mm -hmm. you know, I have MS and I'm thinking mm -hmm. about my appointments and what, right. what the, I have an upcoming appointment in, in October. And if it's telemedicine, mm -hmm. what will be done differently? And of course, I immediately think about, well, what about the tests where they, you know, he says, oh, push on my hands, pull on this, right. let me push right. down on your legs, you know, push right. up on your leg, right. you know, those kind of things. Then there are the mm -hmm. other ones where he said, you know, follow my finger, um, mm -hmm. that kind of thing, or tap your fingers, or mm -hmm. um, like, do you have alternative screening tests? Yeah, so for... So for some things, yes. For some things, no. So we've been doing kind of remote neurologic exams for stroke 
for some time. And there actually have been a lot of meetings over the past um, several months with our Academy of Neurology, where they have been um, having meetings where we even talk about things like how to do a remote neurologic exam. We can't do everything like test your reflexes, but there are alternate ways to test strength. So instead of pushing down or having someone pull, you can have them hold their arms up for a certain amount of time. And that will kind of give you a, a kind of brief assessment of you know what their level of strength is. Um, and then things like follow your eyes, like we can have you do that while we're looking at you on the camera and be able right. to look at your eyes. You know, cameras are very high definition, much better than, you know, even five or six years ago. So much of the exam we're able to do, um, sometimes we may need a family member to assist um, with some of the exam, especially if someone is unable to get up and walk around. Um, but there are some workarounds where we can at least get some assessment of the neurologic exam, even if we're not able to get the uh, complete exam. In terms of what to expect, I think the most important things are to prepare for your visit like you would prepare for any other visit, you know, having your questions and concerns that need to be addressed. I think the other things that are a little more subtle is to kind of pay attention to your environment, right? You might not want to do your telemedicine visit in the bathroom, sitting on the toilet, right? Um, sometimes paying attention to the types of clothes that we have on. I have some folks that kind of, you know, may have a bra on and I'm like, well, let's on a shirt, you know, kind of, you have to think about what you're wearing, you know, make sure that you're decent. Sometimes the angle of the camera can be a little unflattering, you know, certain focusing on certain parts of our body. Um, so there are a couple things like that, you know, making sure you're in a quiet room, you know, maybe not with the TV going and the radio and 10 people yeah. talking in the background. So that kind of preparation is important. I think the good part though, is that during most of the pandemic, especially if people are working, many of us have been on platforms like this like yeah. zoom and other platforms where we kind of have to do those things yes. um, but so we have to think about those things also when we're doing the doctor's appointment because they can see whatever's behind you you know and so we also need it to be a quiet place because we're talking about your health care and your health information you wouldn't want to be out in the mall on speakerphone having the whole world listen to what we're going to do about your MS medication either. what about HIPAA uh, right so that's why you have to be in a quiet room for most of us. So for instance, when I see my patients, I have a telehealth disclaimer um, that's in my note. And it asks things like, where's the patient located? Where am I located? And who's participating in the visit? So, you know, if it's just that person and they're there by themselves, I put them. If it's that person plus a family member or a husband or a wife or a friend or a child who's there in the home with them, then I list everybody who was a part of that visit. Um, but again, it's preparation, not being out in public when you do your visits, just like you would do if you did a Zoom call for work or for some other, you know, um, yeah. event. I would think that telemedicine would also provide the opportunity for multiple, and I don't mean like a whole room full of people, but mm -hmm. typically, at least with me, I go with one other person and they don't even go right. back with me. But if they, right. there were times when I've been on drug studies where I would have them mm -hmm. come back with me just to listen. Mm -hmm. So my husband might, the doctor might tell him what to expect and blah, blah, blah. Um, but nine times out of 10, I'm there by myself. But right. this would give patients who typically wouldn't be able to take somebody with them to an appointment mm -hmm. to be part of that. So I think that's an exactly. You could it's have, absolutely an advantage. You know, all of your kids sitting there. Mm -hmm. They actually, for, exactly. for the first time ever, maybe, get right. to hear exactly what it's like, exactly, you know. So exactly. That's 
that's definitely a plus. And that's one of the reasons that I started telemedicine for my own practice um, once I went out on my own. Um, and I do sometimes educational visits with my patients where just we sit down with them and their spouse, for instance, family planning is a big topic, right? Wow. Um, and so it's very difficult to do with just that one person there, the other person may have questions. So even when I see people in the office, I often encourage them to have their spouse on the telephone, you know, so that they can ask questions, but it's even better if we can kind of look at each other face to face and they're able to have those questions answered and to hear that interaction and also hear the plan um, that we have for, you know, my patients MS care. So I think it's definitely a plus that family members who may be home or may be able to run over to the house um, are able to participate in these visits because it helps the overall care um, of the person living with MS to have other people involved. Now, and I'm just thinking like right now, there's just two of us. Can mm -hmm. you include more than one person on the, on the call? Um, so it depends on the platform. So for instance, with a platform like Zoom, I have had a patient. So, so it also depends on um, what the kind of what the regulations will be as we begin to um, get hopefully a better control of the pandemic moving forward. Right. So right now, the initial restrictions uh, uh, the initial restrictions for telemedicine prior to the pandemic were you had to have access to a HIPAA compliant platform, which usually involves paying for that type of platform for and a healthcare And when you say platform, team. you mean software? Software. So a lot of it is web-based. There are a bunch of different ones. So Zoom has a HIPAA compliant platform, but it's not the same as the ones that we use for meetings, right? So the ones that we use for meetings is not quite the same as the HIPAA compliant platform, which is which is much more expensive. <laughs> yeah. um, and then there are other platforms there, you know, I won't name doxy.me. Um, some actual hospital systems have a platform through their, you know, um, electronic medical record, but the HIPAA compliant, meaning there's certain encryption software um, so that that information can't be leaked out nobody can really kind of log in and you know um, bomb your meeting so to speak right um, and so once the restrictions were uh, loosened for the pandemic um, it became acceptable for healthcare providers to use any platform so FaceTime um, regular zoom Skype things that we traditionally would not have used Right. Um, so for those platforms like Zoom, yes, you can have multiple people. So I've had a patient whose husband couldn't physically be there where she was. And so they kind of logged in and I talked to both of them. And there are other platforms where it's not as easy to do that. Um, so most of the platforms are, are not as compatible with you having multiple people log in, you know, for the reason that we want it to be secure. Right. Um, but certainly some of those will be available. And I believe that over the coming months, there's more technology that will develop. So we will likely have platforms that are HIPAA compliant right. aside from Zoom, where you can also have multiple people kind of dial in or log in. I can't imagine they're not in the background just scrambling right now. I'm sure. Just I'm sure. scrambling I'm sure. to make it all work. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure they're coming. I love it. Yes. Does a doctor or medical professional, let's say you have a nurse who's helping you as well, do you guys need to be certified in tele telemedicine or just as long as you're a certified whatever your profession, mm -hmm. you can do mm -hmm. it? 
So no, you don't need a certification for telemedicine. Telemedicine is really just an extension of the care we already provide. It's not really a new service. I think that um, certainly there are different um, organizations. I'm a member of the American Telehealth uh, you know, association. There are different organizations that have information about kind of best practices for telehealth. Um, at this point in time, most of your major medical societies are probably also going to have, you know, different guidelines about the use of telehealth for your specialty, because obviously doing a neurologic exam is different from doing, you know, a type of exam for a family practice physician, you know, um, but there is not a special certification that you need because it basically is just doing a visit. We're just doing it over the computer instead of doing it in person. Cool. Okay. And I think we kind of covered this before, but for instance, mm -hmm. I live in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. My neurologist, let's say five years from now, he retires. And I think, you know, mm -hmm. I really like that Dr. Mitzi. <laughs> I, I, I want her to be in my neurologist. Is uh -huh. that something you'll now be able to do? Or you're hoping so, as, as yes. they move forward that they will keep those guidelines lax? So that would be great. Um, you know, it, so it would be great to be able to see new patients in different parts, you know, of the country. Um, and so I think that we always have to strike a balance. So for instance, with my patients who I see here in Atlanta, if they live four or five hours away, I often recommend that they also have a local neurologist, right? Because yeah. if they need to get admitted to the hospital, I can't admit them to the hospital in, you know, um, Texas. Yeah. you know, versus I can admit people to the hospital here. Right. So I do believe that there will be some combination. I do believe that it's also important that people with MS have access to specialists. Um, there are many general neurologists who do a great job of treating MS, but it can be overwhelming for us as specialists to keep up with all the literature. Um, and certainly if we're doing general neurology and there are, you know, many other things that we have to keep track of, it can be even more difficult. Um, so I think that there will be a demand for people to kind of follow with the general neurologist in some cases plus an MS specialist or a general neurologist who has a large MS practice and an interest in MS. So, so that is the hope. The hope is that people will be able to access specialists um, to see and kind of help make treatment decisions for their MS. Um, and if they can do that in person, great. But if we can do it remotely and they have someone locally that can also kind of be a partner in their care, I think that that's a great model to have moving forward. And I suppose just Thinking of it from the patient's point of view, logistically, mm -hmm. insurance-wise, that could get a little sticky because I'm sure, you know, mm -hmm. I, I have UPMC insurance, which that's, mm -hmm. you know, a huge health system up here. And, you know, mm -hmm. you have a whole list of doctors that are with, within that group and you have to stick right. within that. You know, they'll cover right. if you go to outside right. of network, um, right. but it's a higher cost. So I would imagine you right. have all kinds of things like that as well, but. So absolutely. So I think that, you know, the kind of cost sharing and the pricing will, you know, be something that definitely needs to be worked out, you know, even for many of my colleagues who are doing telemedicine before we could figure out how to bill for it. Many people were just kind of doing a flat fee for that. And yeah. then people would either try to submit to their insurance for reimbursement or out of network costs, um, or they would just pay that out of like their health savings account or pay it out of pocket. Right. So I think there's still a lot of issues that need to be worked out where that's 
concerned. Um, but certainly there are some models that have worked. If you think about any of your large referral centers, whether it is, you know, my old center here in Atlanta or our academic centers, there are people from all over the country that come to these specialty centers like Mayo right. Clinic or Cleveland Clinic, right. and they're able to be seen and assessed. So there is a right. way that it can be done. Um, we just have to figure out a way that doesn't make the cost exorbitant to the people, you know, um, dealing with the condition like multiple sclerosis, but also make sure that the providers are able to be reimbursed for their services. Exactly. Mm -hmm. hmm. How do you handle prescriptions? Just, you, you know, just like a regular visit and then you just, uh, you know, fax in or electronically send it to the pharmacy of the patient? Yeah, so most prescriptions can be sent electronically now. So, um, you know, it, for every practice there, most practices now have converted to electronic medical records. Yeah. Um, and so we can send prescriptions um, you know, through the computer. Um, there are some issues sometimes with controlled substances. Um, but again, that's where there comes in kind of this collaboration between, you know, the, the person who's doing telemedicine, if there's a person that's separate and they have a local person, sometimes a local person is easier for them to prescribe. But, you know, a lot of times there are ways that we can work that out. And now in most states, controlled substances can also be prescribed electronically, which actually is the safest way to do it rather than giving people paper prescriptions because, you know, it came directly from the doctor's office. Right. Right. Good point. Good point. Mm -hmm. What would you say are the top three advantages of telemedicine versus a regular office in office visit? Mm -hmm. The top three advantages. Um, so I would say, you know, they both have their advantages. Um, I would say the, uh, Top, several of the top advantages of telehealth or telemedicine visits are number one, convenience to the patient, um, because you don't have to travel far for your visit. You don't have to worry about parking. You don't have to worry about additional expenses. If you're going to a doctor's visit four hours away, you're probably going to have to pay a lot in gas. You're going to have to get something to eat on your way back. You know, a lot of, you know, kind of hidden costs that we don't take into account. Um, so it definitely would be more cost effective. Um, well, cost effective and then convenience. Um, and then I think that you also would be able to have that dedicated time to spend with your physician, you know, so when you um, come to an office, depending on if the schedule is running behind, sometimes a doctor may have a little more time, sometimes they may have a little less time. Generally, if we're kind of sitting there doing those telemedicine visits, we're really able to stick to our schedule and we're really able to spend the full amount of time allotted for your visit with you. Um, so I think that those are kind of the three top advantages. You know, we can spend that time with you because we're not running around trying to do labs here and do this here and, you know, not running behind if someone else was running late for their appointment. Um, it's more cost effective um, and then also um, convenient because you can do it right from your home. And, you know, I think especially right now, like last week I had something I had to call my, my primary care physician about, but I, I called because I thought I was going to have to get an x-ray and mm -hmm. I called first because I wanted to see if he could just send, if I had to come into the office or if he could just send an order over to the imaging facility. And in the mm -hmm. back of my mind, it would have just made it easier. Plus in the back of my mind, it's all about germs. It's all about, right. you know, contagious, uh, you know, patients who could be contagious. So I suppose mm -hmm. that would be another advantage as well. You're not going to catch Absolutely. anything because you're not in it. 
Because, I mean, you know, I go to Pittsburgh, it's a huge facility. I'm going through floors yeah. and floors and buildings and, pe- you know, there's no Absolutely. avoiding germs. They're just Absolutely. Um, so Absolutely. That would be an advantage, at least right Absolutely. now. Mm-hmm. Or any time for that matter. There's always a flu season. There's always a- there is <laughs> there are always germs floating around. Yeah. So yeah, so that's definitely um, you know another convenience at this point in time. You know is that it decreases your exposure to other people who may be sick, whether it's with COVID nineteen or any other type of respiratory illness. Awesome. So to wrap things up, okay. where do you see the future? what do you see in the future of telemedicine? Like in your perfect world, what would you like to see? And how, how would you like to see it fit in with your practice? Mm -hmm. So I really believe that telemedicine is here to stay. You know, there were a lot of restrictions. I believe that, you know, the restrictions won't remain as loose as they are right now during the acute crisis um, of the COVID-19 pandemic. But I do believe that, you know, there will be a broadening of you know, our ability to access telemedicine and use it in our everyday practice. You know, what I foresee in my perfect world in the future is during my regular clinic day, having a combination of in-person visits and telemedicine visits. So I'll have a 10 o'clock new patient that needs to come see me in the office. And then I'll have a medication check that I may need to do on the computer um, because that person doesn't necessarily need to travel into the office. Or I may have, you know, a full in-person day and then I may have a half day that's a telemedicine day. So I do believe that it will be a part of our everyday practice um, or our regular practice moving forward. Um, And I am just hoping that many of um, the physicians who are advocating for it, such as myself and many of the organizations are able to, you know, come to some terms that make sense, you know, for both the patients and for the physicians providing the service moving forward. Wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Dr. Mitzi, I cannot thank you enough for coming on today. You are the perfect person for this topic, um, and that's evident. Um, I want everyone to know that your information will be, whether it's your book, your website, which I think pretty much has, you know, you can book you for speaking engagements. It's all on there. So we're going to have links to all of that. And again, thank you so, so much for sharing with our community. This is a hot topic right now, and I'm, I'm yes, hoping it that it's commonplace moving forward. So. I do too, and thank you so much for having me, and I'm excited to talk about a topic that is very near and dear to my heart and pretty much um, a great part of my everyday, my everyday practice. So thank you so much. Awesome. You have a wonderful rest of your day. Absolutely. You too. Thank Thanks. you. For more information on the MS Gym, You can find them on Facebook, Instagram, or at themsgym.com. If you'd like to know what I've been up to lately, you can catch me at brookslick.com. We'll see you on the next episode.